0: Exercise is a, a, a wonderful thing. It's the best medicine there is in many cases and for many issues. But where the line is before you, and and when do you you cross it into the the uh, territory of it being too much is really difficult to pinpoint because there's so many variables in every individual. But it's definitely uh, one of those. Um, books that has this underlying theme that if you're riding really hard you need to rest really hard not only to gain the benefits of your training but to prevent yourself from developing an arrhythmia over time this is arrhythmias don't typically come out of the out of nowhere in terms of okay one day you know you're a rather sedentary person and then one day you go to one of your classes and you do something super intense or all of a sudden you do a, a long bike ride out of the blue, that, 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 that isn't how an arrhythmia usually develops. There are other issues that can develop, heart issues that can develop from those sorts of things. But arrhythmias usually have to do with a cumulative effect over a long time. Um, and there are some other risk factors, alcohol A lot of endurance athletes, believe it or not, smoke still, and that is a big risk factor. I mean, it's crazy for for me to think about that because I have such a hatred of smoking, and and I think a lot of endurance athletes do, but you'd be surprised. So I know I'm getting a little bit into the weeds, but uh, those are some of the things that I can talk about and go into a little bit more detail on.
1: This is Amy, the senior group fitness instructor at the Indoor Cycle Instructor podcast. Are you looking for a spark of inspiration to bring to your next class? Find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. The voice you heard uh, is the managing editor of Velo News, Chris Case. Welcome, Chris. Uh, I, that was a wonderful introduction. Certainly. Thanks for having me. So I'm paging through, I can't remember which bicycle magazine I, I was looking at here the other day, and all of a sudden I, I read in the little sidebar advertisement for a book, the title is, The Haywire Heart, How Too Much Exercise Can Kill You, and What You Can Do to Protect Your Heart. And I thought, wait, that, that, why would they write a book like that? Exercise just helps your heart. But then I started thinking there are a number of people that I know who probably exercise themselves to death. You know, I don't even know where to begin with this, Chris, but uh, can you tell me kind of what led you to, to or motivated you to write the book
0: well of course that that subtitle really isn't meant to be shocking, it's meant to be provocative, of course, because it's a it's on the cover of a book that we want to sell and get people to read, and that's because this is a an extremely important topic for for a, the world in which we live, which is, you know, there's a there's a, a millions of people that are in love with endurance athletics, running, riding bikes, triathlon, cross country skiing, that sort of thing, and uh, I think you're going to see this more and more often, where people just take it a little too far and do too much. Uh, so the, the origin of this book actually is, um, com, comes from Leonard Zinn, who many of your listeners may know through his work with Velo News as a, a staff and contributing editor for, for 30 plus years. Uh, he also makes bikes and has written many other books. Um, And he was out riding one day in Boulder, Colorado, up our famous Flagstaff Mountain, a ride he's done a thousand times before. And uh, his heart rate monitor just started doing something crazy. It shot up from, he was sitting at 155 beats or so per minute, and uh, it shot up to 218 beats per minute, and, you know, he's tapping on the thing and thinking, oh, it's just a, It's just a glitch for a moment.
1: Yeah. You're looking around for power lines that are causing the, that (laughs) having flashback of similar events for me. So keep going.
0: Exactly. It
1: just, it just
0: never went down. Um, and he was, you know, Leonard's a competitive guy and and loves to go after it. And he was going for a, a Strava record. Um, but he decided it was going on too long and he stopped and immediately his heart rate came down. And, um, you know, it, it did, it did concern him, but, um, he was also kind of upset that he blew this good time that he was on. So anyways, he goes off and he, he continues his ride and he does some other efforts and all this because he, you know, his training plan called for a, for a hard ride that day. Um, he gets home and and calls his, uh, his general practitioner just out of precaution and, um, looking for advice on a cardiologist to see just to get checked out. And, and, uh, she asks why, and, and he describes the issue and she says, Oh, well, no, you need to go to the emergency room right away. <clears throat> right. And, you know, that's kind of shocking to him because he's at this time, 55 years old and he thinks he's incredibly healthy, which all accounts are that he is, but, uh, he's got this thing going on with his heart and, um, he goes to the emergency room the attending physician there that day happens to be one of the team doctors for the Garmin Sharp professional team, or what used to be the Garmin Sharp professional team, and it's somebody he knows. And so that he really listens to this doctor. He knows that this doctor has worked with a lot of athletes, a lot of professional cyclists. And and uh, Leonard showed a lot of troponin in his bloodstream. So a troponin is this Uh, a marker that is often used to detect whether someone's had a heart attack. And and, uh, Leonard had a really high level of this. And uh, the doctor said, I don't even see this in my professional athletes when they've gone super hard. So you need to go by ambulance. Your wife can't drive you. You need to go by ambulance to the downtown cardiac unit and get checked out. And so that was the – that was his first – Incident with what became diagnosed as multifocal tach- uh, atrial tachycardia, and Leonard told me about this. Um, we started talking more and more about it. I saw him go through a lot of different tests, um, a lot of diff- a lot of kind of inner turmoil about what this meant for his life, how he was going to have to change things, if he was going to have to change things. He started reaching out to a lot of friends, former. Colleagues, uh, former racing buddies, and realized, "Wow, I'm not the only one that's had some issues here." And um, that's when I wrote an, a magazine article. I think it was in August, July or August of 2014. I guess it would be um, in Velo News magazine. And the response to that article was overwhelming. Honestly. Uh, we were inundated, especially Leonard with, because he, because of his name and who he is and how famous he's become through, through cycling, um, hundreds and hundreds of people were reaching out to him saying, oh, my, this has happened to me. I've had this happen. You know, it's been a long road for me. Other people just sort of on the cusp saying, well, I feel like I've had some of these symptoms. What should I do? Um, you know, former, like I said, racing friends that he hadn't talked to in years that came out of the woodwork and and said, "Yeah, I have one too. I, I, you know, I've been struggling with this for five, ten years, whatever the case may be." So we knew it was a very important topic, and and the magazine article only scratched the surface. So we knew a book was the next logical step, and and it's a three hundred page book that probably could have been six hundred pages. Um,
1: it's very yeah, for all the technical information. Yeah, in it. it's Absolutely.
0: yeah, it's very. It's got some complex parts. We 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 tried to uh, make them digestible, even still. And you know, we've got a lot of interesting case studies in there that describe other people's um, uh, it, arrhythmias, uh, the their, the aftermath of being diagnosed in different stages of where they are in terms of reconciling how this will change their life and things like that. And a lot of interesting chapters on prevention and the evidence to support the fact that long-term endurance athletics may be proving to be too much for some people in, 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 uh, as a result, they're developing these arrhythmias. So that's a long answer, but that's <laughs> okay. that, that all
1: came about one of the, concerns as a fitness instructor is that you may work the people in your class too hard. Is there any science that, that you can work yourself into a heart attack or, you know, some cardiac failure arrest?
0: Sure. Well, it's good to point out there's two different systems at work in your heart. There's the plumbing system and that's the blood and the vasculature that, uh, that feeds the heart and goes to the lungs and, and those sorts of things. And and that's typically in a, on a heart attack, there's a blockage somewhere in your blood vessels that causes the, um, the blood to stop circulating or, or blocks it. And then there's the electrical system of the heart, which coordinates the beats and keeps it in rhythm so that the chambers beat in this particular pattern to, um, to, Push blood throughout the body and bring it in from the lungs in a coordinated fashion. And when the electrical system is out of order or when there's a irregular um, electrical pattern, that's called an arrhythmia. And there's lots of different kinds. So I just wanted to briefly describe those two things because sometimes people will say heart attack. And it, it, a heart attack has kind of become a general term for anything wrong with the heart. But... That's not necessarily the case, so to answer your question and and to to focus on the electrical side, which is what this book is about it's about the electrical abnormalities of the heart, not the plumbing issues, so to speak like I said it's I, I believe in the introduction it's 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 hard to um, it's hard to give a a scientific Data-based answer on what is too much and where the line is. Um, it's also one of those things that over time the cum- the accumulation of hard efforts and stress, training stress, life stress, stress in general on your body. It's the accumulation of all of that that may lead to an arrhythmia. Um, so I don't think. As a fitness instructor, you need to be incredibly concerned about driving somebody to or over the edge. Uh, There are things you should keep in mind, of course, when you're keeping or, or when you're teaching a class. And obviously, shortness of breath that is out of proportion to the effort. Obviously, if you're going super hard and you're doing a interval session or something like that and you're breathing really hard, that's perfectly normal. But if somebody continues to have shortness of breath after those intervals are over or when they're warming up or something like that that's a that's a warning sign tightness mm-hmm. tightness at the chest is another warning sign um, a lot of uh if obviously, if somebody is on the verge of fainting or has fainted, very big warning sign. You don't want them to wake up from having fainted and put them right back on the bike. That would be a <laughs> that would be a very bad thing to do. Um, there are a few others that um, are a little less uh, alarming, I guess you would say, or a little less wor- worrisome. But the, the the three that I mentioned. Those are the types of things that um, if someone in your class has uh, experience, you want them to stop right away, and you also want to suggest that they go and see a cardiologist, and they may need to have what's called a exercise stress test or something like that to figure out what might be going on.
1: You know, when you were talking earlier about endurance athletes, and and I don't know if you use the word obsession uh, or, obs- or obsessive, uh, but I know a lot of cyclists, triathletes, that are obsessive about their exercise. Yes, and as an instructor, it's not uncommon, especially if you're in a northern climate, uh, to see those people you know jumping into your class for some training mm-hmm. and And so you know a part of my interest in this interview is to to help convey um, some information that an instructor can in turn. You know, convey to their larger sure. audience. Sure, and it's it's denial, I think, in a lot of people. We you know we think, oh, I exercise all the time. I'm going to be just fine, right? And but what you're saying, or what you're the research that you've done, is, is that it, that isn't the case. And so, and I recognize, yes, no, or no, you cannot identify a, a you know a line. Don't yeah. go any more than this, right? Uh, but how would you communicate to um, someone that you just know minimally. How, how do you? How would you communicate the the need to 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 not deny what you're sensing or feeling?
0: I think that um, if, uh, there's a couple things that are important to address in in with with uh, your situation or in these classes that you're speaking of and, and dealing with um, athletes who, like you said, are on are are pretty obsessive about what they do. They're passionate. I think sometimes that passion becomes an obsession. And and, and um those are there's there's training is, is a a stress to the body. It's meant to be a stress. Um you only get better by stressing your body and then overloading it so to speak and then allowing it to recover and rebuild stronger, the supercompensation effect. Um, But if you never give your body a chance to rest and recover, you actually just – you don't get better. You get more and more fatigued. So you have to – if you're riding hard and you want to get faster and you want to improve – then you have to let your body rest and recover. Also, training isn't the only type of stress. Of course, there's life stresses. If you are going through a divorce, if you're a family member has passed away, if uh, you know you've just got things going on at work that are very stressful, those also contribute to the to the stresses on your body, physical and mental, and. If you're on a training regimen that has you doing a really big block of training, a really hard week, and then all of a sudden something happens in your life that's also stressful, you need to take those things into consideration. And one of them, one of something has to give. Your, your body just can't take all of that stress like it, like it normally would. So if you continue to push through it, and this, again, is not hard and fast rule but it it it's it's a logical um sort of process to to understand that if you are training hard and life is also hard something is going to be affected and i think what we're seeing from the the the, the data and the research is that a lot of times the stress accumulates in the heart as you're pushing it Um, and I know a lot of people that use exercise and training as a, uh, you know, a medicine, not not to, to relieve anxiety, to absolutely to deal yeah. to deal with stress, and you know, and we all do that because exercise and getting out there on a bike or doing doing what we love to do is is really helpful. But um, you have to be um, you have to take some. Precautions to not overdo that because you can become reliant on the exercise as your anti-anxiety medicine, so to speak.
1: Oh, right, right, right. Well, and then that is also you know and that ties into the addictive characteristics of exactly. exercise. So, I guess what
0: I what I'm saying is you just have to be very mindful of the the sort of the dosage of of stress that your body is. Um, under, and then of course I'm including the training, the mental stresses of work, the psychological stresses of of life, and and so forth. And I hope that answers your question.
1: Well, I realized it was a difficult question to answer. <laughs> yeah. but it's uh, but yeah, because I can think back. You know, there're numerous times where you see people that that it's clear that they're obsessive. In 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 what they do, and and to be able to, you know, how would I say, lovingly uh, ex- express maybe not concern, but um, to inform them that you know there may be a problem. Um, th- throughout the book, th- um, I got the sense that the medical uh, community didn't. At least initially, in a lot of the cases studies you have, the, the medical community community did not initially recognize what's happening with uh, these endurance athletes.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that that's partly because doctors don't understand not not every doctor, of course, but the the, the medical community as a whole generally doesn't understand the endurance athlete. They don't understand the stresses we put it under they don't understand the mentality it takes to, to do what we do they don't understand necessarily the physiological changes that take place in us whether it's everything from a, a super low resting heart rate to the size of our heart chambers and so forth so there's definitely you will deal with that if you live in an area where the physicians may not have dealt with a lot of endurance athletes before you if you go in for a, a, one of these arrhythmias, you have to be aware that they may not understand exactly who you are as an athlete and what your uh, symptoms uh, are telling them. Somewhere in Boulder,
1: of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, you'll end up with a team doctor. for. A- yeah every yeah, professional other professional race team yeah
0: there's <laughs> more people here that are professional athletes than uh, there are that aren't professional athletes I think or at least they think they're professional athletes so right.
1: yeah well, they're awfully close right what surprised you uh, as far as uh, responses that you've gotten from your book and article was there something that came out of the blue that you kind of hit you and said wow I, I never realized that this would ha- happen uh,
0: I think for the most part, it's just been the number of people that have these issues, um, young and old, people that work in the cycling industry that, um, you know, 35 years old and they have had been, have been diagnosed with an arrhythmia. They've tried a, an ablation to treat the the problem. Um,
1: just describe what that is. The ablation, uh, that would, yeah, that would—that's that's sure. kind of a fascinating thing. And I—I'd like—I didn't find in the book where they really describe the procedure. Actually, sure. How do they get there to do it? So, please. So, an ablation is a
0: as a form of of treatment for an arrhythmia. Usually, a mapping is done of the heart uh, to try and find out where the electrical circuitry of the heart has, is bad. So, so where it's misfiring or where there might be some scar tissue that is creating this um, blockage in the smooth flow of electricity through the heart. So that is um, what an arrhythmia is. And so to treat it, they'll take a catheter and they'll go in and try to burn and kill those bad cells in the small areas of the heart where they're misfiring or malfunctioning and therefore try to eliminate that blockage, uh, blockages. I don't want to confuse this with a, like a physical blockage. But, um,
1: a yes. Broken circuit. So broken
0: circuit. Speak. Exactly. So um, for instance, Leonard had an attempted ablation. He was mapped, his heart was mapped to try to find the um, source of the arrhythmia. And he was in the hospital on the surgical table for, I think, four hours, um, and he had to stay extremely still that whole time. And they went in and they tried to to reproduce his arrhythmia so that they could find the spot um, that was malfunctioning. And they had his heart racing at upwards of 300 beats per minute for many of those hours, believe it or not, to try to have it act the way it acted that first time. And they couldn't get it to uh, – Reproduce this effect, so they actually couldn't end up. They didn't end up burning any cells. That is a failed ablation. Um, I've spoken with a number of people, and and sort of their uh, case studies are are detailed in the book, where it took maybe two or three attempts to get the ablation to go um, the way it should, and for it to to effectively treat the arrhythmia but some of those procedures were eight hours long um you're having to stay perfectly still uh they're they're making your heart race by means of pumping you through with adrenaline or epinephrine or caffeine or all of the above and then they're trying to get the heart to to uh have an arrhythmia so that they can burn those cells. So a lot, oh, of...
1: And it's not exact. It's, it's it's not exact as was, was what I was getting is that you yeah, know, it's it, it's a it's a a pretty, kind of hit or miss. It's a pretty blunt way. tool.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty blunt tool. And and to go back to Leonard's case, the reason they couldn't necessarily trigger an arrhythmia in him or or find the exact spot is he again he his diagnosis is multifocal atrial tachycardia so his arrhythmia is coming from different points around his atrium and so it's not just one location where there's bad cells they're scattered and that makes it even more difficult to um, find and 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 uh eliminate those cells um and and in other people it could be on the interior wall of the heart it could be on the exterior it's really difficult and it's not like this is um it's not an easy thing to do Uh, i think a lot of people hear of friends that have had ablations and it's worked for them and fixed them up and then two weeks later they're out training again that that is the case in some in some instances but it it's uh it's not cure all for everyone and for every arrhythmia, and like you alluded to, it's not an exact science
1: um yeah there's one it's a couple of the stories where they had to go back and have them done again and again um right two or two or three times wow okay yeah right. but, um but well, okay, so once someone has uh this arrhythmia is and it it's not treated. Um, what happens
0: well there are other ways to treat arrhythmias um besides ablation there's there's some some uh pharmaceutical drugs to that people can take but they're also very blunt and have some pretty nasty side effects um for instance leonard again he's literally just had to slow down uh he can't he he is a zone two kind of guy and he will be for the rest of his life. He um, he's gone out on. He 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 still rides. He still cross country skis. He just has to do it at a more mellow pace. That's his type of arrhythmia. Um, you know, he has over the course of the last couple of years had other um, incidents uh, episodes of uh, this tachycardia he suffers from. And each time he's had that happen to him, it seems like the threshold has become lower. So whereas it used to be triggered at 155 beats per minute, he's now down around more like 135 beats per minute. So each time he triggered an episode, it brought that threshold down a bit. So now he can't go over 135 beats per minute. And, you know, for a 57-year-old, that's not particularly... Hi um
1: no not at all,
0: so he just has to he's changed his life and it took him a long time to get to where he is now but he's actually you know he he'd tell you he's a happier guy he's a he's a less obsessive about his training he, <laughs> has, he has other things in his life that he really appreciates a lot now he spends more time with his family with his wife he just sees things when he's out riding or skiing that he never saw before because he was always going hard um that's his that's his uh, experience other people you know they um if the ablation doesn't work if the ablation does work they there there are people that have an ablation and go straight back to training and they might not have any other issues Maybe they come back in a couple of years, and again, like you said, they'll have another ablation, and they'll get into this pattern, thinking, "Oh, I'll just keep pushing myself, and then I'll have another ablation." It's not the—it's probably not the healthiest attitude to take, but some people do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh yes, I can think of a few people that probably, <laughs> yeah, could say that exactly that. I just got to go in and get fixed, and I'm back out again.
0: Right. Um,
1: And then other people, of course,
0: have much more um, dangerous types of arrhythmias, and and their lives have changed radically. Um, Some of the people that are profiled in the book are, or were, I should say, you know, top-level athletes, and now they are – if they are able to walk up a flight of stairs – it's a good day for them i'm not exaggerating you know their their hearts are severely damaged um, and i think that is just one of those things it's 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 impossible to understand why their heart was affected the way it was and somebody else's might be affected with a more benign form of arrhythmia they were unlucky. uh, And um, they pushed themselves and they continue to push themselves. And uh, they are now, unfortunately, um, living a very different life. And I'm not saying that they're necessarily unhappy and depressed. But I think they the, the, the people I'm thinking of went through stages where they were severely affected by this in a negative way. Now they've sort of come to terms with it. And they've, They've uh, changed their lives, and yeah, it it can it can be uh, completely debilitating in some
1: instances. All right, um, well, we're at a half hour here, Chris, and I I think we can just leave it at that. Um, again, the name of the book: "The Haywire Heart: How Too Much Exercise Can Kill You and What You Can Do to Protect Your Heart." Of course,
0: it's available on Amazon. It's also available through the publisher, VeloPress.com. I think it's available in a lot of probably running stores, bike uh, cycling shops, triathlete shops out there. So um, check it out.
1: Yeah, and I would recommend this for everyone that's listening to this that because it is very eye-opening um, and a bit sobering. And yet um, I, I think having this information that you can convey to uh, your class, uh, can be very valuable. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate all this.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.